contracts, salary caps. Why do our favorite teams make some of the moves they do? It's usually the money. It's time for the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Got a special one for you this week. I'll get to that in a second. This Business of Sports podcast is presented by BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts, and it's the exclusive partner of Podcast One Sportsnet. Visit BetOnline.ag. Don't forget to use promo code BIGGAME when signing up for your account. Before I get to our special guest, my rant of the week, you know what that's about. All the happenings around the NFC Championship game, a little bit on the AFC Championship game. Listen, we know by now the call was obvious. It was pass interference. If it was called, also helmet to helmet, if it was called, the Saints would have had the ball way deep into Rams territory, and they could have milked the clock to go way down, I think even below 20 seconds, kick a field goal, etc., etc. Bottom line is they win the game. So this, we can talk about all the things, all the play calling that Sean Payton didn't or didn't do, and whether the Rams had calls against them or not. But that call changed the game and changed who was going to the Super Bowl. There's no question about that. I know the Joe Pisarczyk, come on. If the Rams are called for either helmet-to-helmet or pass interference, both of them acknowledged by the NFL to Sean Payton, we have the Saints in the Super Bowl and not the Rams. Legacies are defined by this. You know, when we talk about Sean Payton and Drew Brees and all these players in 20 years, we're not going to remember this. There's not going to be asterisks around this. So it was a clear and obvious miss. And then we sort of hear the leakage. The NFL is going to do something about it. They're going to have a statement about it. Listen, I have seen this movie before. I know what's going to happen. We're hearing about it now. There's outrage. There's lawsuits. Good luck with that. There will be lawyers. There's all kinds of things going on. The fact of the matter is nothing will change because here's what happens. We have this great talk about, oh, it's going to change. It's going to be so different. They're going to get together. They're going to make pass interference uh, reviewable. Good luck because what happens is the heat of the moment, which we're in right now, we don't have competition committee meetings in January. Right now, it happens every year, right? You got the heat of the moment, the des catch, whatever it is. Then the competition committee doesn't meet until March, and they're in a sun-soaked location, whether it's Arizona, Florida, or California. They're a week before the owners' meetings. What's standing between them and the beach or good food or the sun is these meetings, and they decide, yeah, you know, pass interference, reviewable, that doesn't work. What are we thinking about? Yeah, it was a big deal back then, but what are we thinking about? That doesn't work. And I suspect nothing will change. Same with overtime rules. Hey, the Chiefs didn't get the ball. Okay, well, Andy Reid's not complaining about it. He gets it. It happens. That's not changing. Come on. So, again, we live in a society of overreaction and 24-hour news cycles, maybe less. And the NFL knows that. The NFL knows we're on. To Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, Sean McVay. Wow, great Super Bowl ahead. <clears throat> We're not even talking about the game in a week. We're not even talking about the Saints being robbed. So that's where we are. It moves so fast. The other point I'll make, and please read my column on the MMQB this week and SI.com technologically. You know, after the game the other night, after all the highlights, I turned over to the Australian Open. I watch a lot of tennis. I like watching tennis. 
And when they have reviews, it takes seconds, and it's pure, and it's exactly within the millimeter correct. Now, I know that's ball placement. That's simple. You can't do all that in football. But think about football right now. <clears throat> What's in the, in, a, in the biggest sports venture in the history of the world, it's a $15 billion annual revenue business. What are we doing? We still have guys holding chains with sticks for first downs. We still have referees coming in from 20 yards away to mark a ball. What's the latest innovation we can think about in the NFL? Well, maybe it's pylon cams. Is that it? So think about all these things that go on, and we don't even know. We don't even have the technology. Listen, I know it's complicated, but think about pass interference. What if you had chips in the ball or and in the players that could tell if there's contact before the ball hits? Take it out of the human error. We always have human error in sports. Of course we do. But the whole idea of replay and the whole idea of what's going on in tennis is to overrule line judges who made human error. So why can't we have that in football? Listen, <clears throat> the number one challenge for the NFL and all sports leagues, how to attract and maintain younger viewers. The way to do that is data, and the way to do that is to give people what they want, more information, more data, more analytics, more algorithms, all that, and better technology, because technological innovation will demand it. The NFL has deals with Google, with uh, Twitter and Amazon. Well, Google's coming. Yahoo, yes. Facebook coming. Now, it's one thing to get revenue from these digital media giants, but what about innovation? Let's get that going. So that's my rant. Outrage now, nothing's going to change in March. Technology, ridiculous. You know, we're at a 1950s level in terms of spotting the ball. And it's it's really, you know, these these type of situations really make you think, what the heck's going on? Innovation has to happen and fast. Consumers, like you and I, will demand it. That's my rant of the week. Now word from a new sponsor that you're going to hear from the founder of this company, it's MetPro. MetPro is a proven platform and it helps people transform their bodies. You're going to hear a lot about this. Athletes, C-level executives, it analyzes an individual's metabolism, provides them with personalized approach to obtaining their goals. It's got data. It's driven by strategy. They tell you guidance, how to optimally manage weight and your performance goals. There's no guesswork. You put in your individual data, you have best nutrition and training strategy, and metabolic profiling. It gets you a baseline and takes you past that. Now, most people spend hours trying to figure out nutrition and exercise, but you can take it to the next level with these coaches, and I have one. She's great. You, you, they're educated experts. They're empathetic to people with busy lives, stressful schedules, one-on-one, -on -one, and they let you go through your personal and lifestyle goals and make it happen. So... If you want to go to MetPro and learn more about it, go to metpro.co slash BOS, metpro.co slash BOS, Business of Sports, and you can get hooked up with a one-on-one -on -one coach. MetPro, transforming fitness, nutrition, and diet and exercise goals with an individualized approach to obtaining your goals. Speaking of MetPro... This guest this week is Angelo Poli, the founder of MetPro. This is a fascinating conversation with someone who gives you a no-nonsense, easy-to-understand way to transform your body and your fitness and nutrition goals. Without further ado, founder of MetPro, Angelo Poli. 
Welcome back to the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. I really have a special guest this week, someone near and dear to my interests, my heart, what I work on. I'm all about, as you guys know, trying to be the best you can be in body and mind. And someone who's representative of that, uh, who represents MetPro, the founder of MetPro, Angelo Poli, inter- internationally recognized expert, fitness, nutrition. MetPro is the first world's first algorithm-based transformation engine i'm a client full disclosure and i'm just so impressed with the company i wanted to have angelo on angelo welcome to the business of sports podcast thanks for having me on andrew uh pleasure to be here uh i have uh, been listening to a few of your podcasts and i i'm excited to get to to visit and, and share some uh info that hopefully will be of, of interest to some of your listeners I have no doubt it will be. And MetPro, uh, full disclosure to everyone, I'm a client. I just think they do a great job. You do a great job. In analyzing metabolism, you give individualized approach to goals. And you're working with, we're not going to get into names, but high-profile clientele, including athletes and NFL and Olympic and models, executive, entrepreneurs, politicians. Tell me about your clientele in general. Don't want to get into names specifically, but... Why do you think your program is so attractive to those that are excelling in so many areas? Well, we we aim to solve a problem that most that many people have, and that is to really identify the specific action steps that are going to help somebody get from point A to point B. And the strategy is the same in that the more knowledge you have and the more specific you can be, the more uh, the more effective the outcomes are going to be. So I actually got into this on the heels of an injury when oh. I was in my early 20s. And I, I, was a, I was a personal trainer. I was into fitness. I just wasn't a very good one because I had no life experience. But after, after going through a, a fairly severe back, multiple surgeries, um, <clears throat> I ended up needing to focus on more of the science more of the strategy and more of metabolism in order to help the clients that I've ended up starting working actually in physique sports where uh, figure, fitness models, uh, etc. Uh, uh, them fine-tune aesthetic. And then that kind of led into working with more athletes and helping them really fine-tune training protocols, nutrition to hit the right body weight and body comp. And so for years, we specialized in working with athletes of all sorts. And then from there, we kind of, I finally got to fall into essentially my dream job, and that is more of a concierge high touch. And so now I would say that we cater a large demographic, but dominantly the professionals, professional, um, you know, people where they're at a point in their career where, um, you know, they have responsibilities, they have family, they have kids, whatever the circumstances, they have limited time. And the question really is, if I have limited time, what's the most relevant, best return on my investment as far as the efforts I can make with my diet, with my training, and with my lifestyle? And so we've put together a small, effective team of highly experienced coaches that just really work closely with their clients and implement some very, very scientific methodologies to track, analyze, 
and uh, provide feedback on very, very specific action steps on a case-by-case. So again, whether, whether they're pro athletes or in the best shape they can be, there is an effective way of getting there. And that's what we, we do at NAPRO. And we have a blast with it. That sounds great. Tell me what exactly the added advantage, the value add from MetPro, if you could identify that and articulate it. We are all familiar with trainers and we're all familiar with fitness gurus <laughs> and nutritionists. So what is your differentiator, if you could expound on that? Yep. So the first thing is, so, so it's uh, evaluation, 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 make sure that we're spending our efforts doing the right things. So there is no, no limit, no end to methodologies out there. Um, you have a hundred different gurus and they all say something different. And you know what? I'm going to tell you something a little, maybe a little different from what you'd expect to hear from me. Yeah. They're all right. <laughs> I've seen every different strategy work. Just no strategy works all the time for everyone. Hmm. So what strategy is right for you? It's the, it's the mechanic analogy. Uh, I, I, I laugh at this because um, pe- people get onto a kick, you know, the low-carb kick, or, you know, they're doing cyclical fasting, or they're doing, uh, you know, uh, carb cycling, or they're doing all these different tools. And I, they, they say, you know, I, I think this is the best way of doing something. And I don't have a problem with that, but here's what it's like. It's like walking into a car mechanic's garage and saying, hey, I was wondering, what's, what's the best tool in here? Is it the screwdriver or the wrench? Because I hear really good things about the screwdriver mm. this time of year. <laughs> you know, they're all tools, and the key is understanding them and their relevancy. So um, if I was going to dive in, I would say that there's five basic things that need to be identified in order to really answer the question, hey, I want to get in shape. For a lot of people, weight loss is the first step in that journey. Right. Or I want to lose weight, or I want to get in shape, or I want to run a marathon, or I want to bench 300 pounds, whatever, whatever your goal is. Here are the five things you need to know. The first thing is, what's your body type? Now, I'm not saying that from the trendy marketing, you know, uh, you, you know, if you're this, if you're the pear shape. You, right. What I'm really trying to get at is your body type is an expression of your genetics, your parents, your predisposition. You have to know what that is. And oh, by the way, it's not just cut and dry. Yes, there's ectomorph, mesomorph, endomorph. Right. Those are the basic body types. But think of it instead of a pure you're this or that. Think of it as a, a range, a spectrum on a scale where you're going to fall in between certain body types and have certain characteristics from each. But one will probably be your dominant. If we know your body type, then we can line up the training modality that's going to best deliver the result that you want. Um, now, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll kind of geek out on this a little bit. There are... Geek away. I'm into this. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> there are six training types. Now, now people are going to say, what? There's 101 training types. You're right. But I like to break it down into six broad categories. Uh, so, so the way I break it down is there, there's endurance training, um, and that's going to be basically training that's going to produce uh, adaptive responses in the body all around uh, sustaining, uh, whether muscular system converts to slow twitch muscle fibers, and it's, it's less about adding bulk. Uh, your energetic pathway, even the, the mitochondria uh, and, and your cells adapt to be more efficient for fuel usage from 
lipids and intramuscular triglycerides. Uh, without getting too detailed, it's your body makes all these little tiny adaptive responses based on trying to become better at long distance, endurance, large time activities. Then there's interval training. Mm-hmm. Some people think of it as HIT training or varied intensity training. Um, they're both aerobics, but the way the body responds and adapts to them uh, is, is actually different. And then if you factor in your body type on top of that, now there's a third, uh, there's a third variable that will suggest that if you're this body type doing this type of aerobic activity, you're going to have this outcome. Those are the minute details that MetPro tracks and is able to give you calculable feedback. So I'll go through the rest of the uh, of the six a little quicker. So there's endurance training, there's interval training, there's cardio circuits. So that's going to be everything from your old classic curves workout center, going from apparatus to apparatus mm-hmm. to uh, Tabata style training or simple class training where you're using uh, your body weight and aerobic activity mixed together. Um, then you kind of cross the line into more dominantly hypertrophic training. So this is activities that are going to stimulate muscle growth. So that's going to be circuit training. Um, Then there's strength training, and then there's cross training. And so, yes, those are broad categories, but each one is going to influence your body just a little bit different. So when we look into body types, what we're really doing is we're looking at not just your genetic predisposition, but we're trying to predict in advance how your body is going to respond to different training styles. And if we can do that, then we can help actually answer the question, what should I be doing? So that's the first. Mm -hmm. That's body types. The second we have to look at is are you strategic or metabolic? Hmm. And, and I'll, I'm, I'm giving away all my secrets here, Andrew. <laughs> Go ahead. I'd like to That's hear our way of, of basically answering the question. And this, think of it, I'm going to use weight loss as the example just because it's something very familiar and on a lot of people's mind. Um, are you uh, struggling to lose weight because of your lifestyle and responsibilities and being busy and finding a uh, it difficult to implement a strategy that is consistent, or are you struggling to lose weight because your actual metabolic rate is running very, very slow? Mm. So those are two very different scenarios. Yes. So for a lot of people um, that express frustration, they'll call me and say, Angela, I'm doing everything that you know I'm told I should do. I'm eating right, I'm exercising, and my weight won't budge. Um, they're probably a metabolic type. And so the, the objective that they want to achieve is only going to be had on the other side of actually upregulating, speeding up, up-adjusting their metabolism. For most people, however, they can start with weight loss right out of the gate if they have the right strategy for um, actually being able to follow through with whatever their nutritional modality of choice is. So identifying are you kind of behavioral and lifestyle, or are you actually metabolic? Um, and, and then we have to look at your current or past dieting habits. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the unfortunate truth is that what you have done in the past 
absolutely impacts how your body will respond now. Um, so again, uh, you know, this goes both ways, whether you're trying to add muscle or improve athletic performance or whether you're trying to lose weight. But I'll speak to those who are, you know, struggling with some stubborn belly fat that they want to take off. Um, if you have ever experienced the scenario where you've done a diet, you've lost weight, uh, you did, and now you've gone back to that same diet, done everything the same, but have not been able to get the same result, that's an exact correlation to your body evolving over time to the mm -hmm. stimulus that it's previously had. So in order to answer the question, where is your body and metabolic rate today? At MetPro, what, what, our, what our coaches do is they baseline test. So we're not guessing anymore. Right. So we'll actually, and I think you've kind of gone through a little bit of this, Andrew. Yes, I have. Um, yeah. So what we'll do is we'll put together a pretty specific meal plan for you that we have experienced thousands and thousands of people following of different body types, different activity levels, different athleticism. And so we have a metrics to basically parse your results against to determine where against the median, so to speak, you're responding. And so based on how your body responds, so the simplest way is to say, hey, you followed this meal plan for X amount of days. Did you gain weight? Did you lose weight? Did you stay the same weight? How is your energy? Based on metrics like that, we can then take that data and extrapolate once again, okay, here's what you should be eating. Here is what you should be doing. And no two people are alike. Mm -hmm. No two people are alike. There's nothing fair about metabolism. <laughs> uh, I, I got a guy right now who's, uh, you know, uh, about 320, 330 pounds and he exercises every day. He does everything quote unquote right. And yet, um, you know, a pound a week is a victory for him right. and there's nothing fair about it, but th that is his reality. So at least knowing that going into it will help us be strategic. And then uh, on the other hand, I have, uh, I have a gal who's, uh, you know, between 110, 115 pounds. She eats you know, between 3000 and 3,500 calories a day. And if she misses a single snack, she'll lose a pound. Yeah, yeah metabolism is not fair. And, and having worked with pro athletes as an agent, a team executive for years, I just, I shake my head because I would see guys, you know, eat McDonald's three times a day and stay up late and not get good sleep. And they'd, you know, be rock hard and <laughs> in terms yep. of their bodies. Yep. And they would seem to have an endless that. energy. Now... I guess, the, you know, the reason I bring that up is how much of all of this is predetermined and is related to youth or whatever advantages you have when you're young or with your metabolism and how much is, as you're talking about, changeable. Yeah. And, and what question. you're not that stuck is with. question, right. Andrew. Yeah. Great question. And the answer is yes. Okay. <laughs> um, it's, it, it is absolutely both. So um, I, I actually, uh, I mean, it's unmistakable. Everybody knows different genetics uh, are, are going to play a role, you know, so I would, I would love to be able to, uh, you know, dunk a basketball, but uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a five foot eight, uh, you know, short, hairy and funny Italian. That's me. I can't dunk a basketball and I have trained for it and I still can't dunk. I don't think it's in the stars. Right. Um, so yes, your, your, 
genetics are absolutely going to play a role. However, your metabolism's job is to acclimate to your environment. So that means you can change how your metabolism functions within a parameter of what your genetics will allow, but it's a big range. So we can use that to actually speed your metabolism over time. It's that people don't really understand what a fast metabolism means. And not, not that it's difficult to comprehend. It's just we don't stop and think of it in these terms. So I'll give you an example. We think of someone with a fast metabolism. Um, what, Andrew, what do you think of when you think of someone with a fast metabolism? Describe what you're envisioning in your head. Yeah, it's a good question. I think of someone that burns calories and or fat easily. And yep. Because they're well-conditioned, because they're lean mass and muscular, it happens at a resting rate faster than others. It's just kind of my general impression. And you are not wrong. Now mm -hmm. I'm going to propose a completely alternative ending to that thought okay. process. You are not wrong. Um, but most people, oh, I think of somebody with a fast metabolism. I think of a, you know, the cover of the runner's magazine and the right. lean couple running through the park. Yeah. That's fast metabolism. Fastest metabolism in the world. You want to know fast metabolism? Have you ever seen those like Discovery Health Channel shows where they have the 1,100-pound man getting taken out of his house with a crane? Right, right. So nobody thinks about him having a fast metabolism. No. Now, he can't even stand on his own. But let's talk that through. The, the dietitians and nutritionists that work with these guys, they'll put them on something like 5,000 calories a day, and these guys will lose 10 pounds a day the first several days. Mm. How, how, many, how many pounds would you lose if you're eating 5,000 calories a day? <laughs> I gain five a day, yeah. Right? <laughs> so so by, by our definition, those, you know, that guy, even though he, um, he's in a tight spot, right? So that guy actually has a blazing fast mm. metabolism. Mm. He's morbidly obese. He has a blazing fast metabolism. So that's, that's because, the, again, the way we think about metabolism is a little bit different in actuality. It's more of a survival mechanic. When you eat more, your metabolic rate, your, your metabolism has to keep you in homeostasis. So if your body biologically was constantly shifting weight, gaining or losing, you can't survive. You can't live. So the metabolism mm -hmm. is that survival mechanic that adjusts kind of like a carburetor so that if there's more fuel coming in, it'll speed up to, to adapt. And if there's less fuel, and here's where it gets tricky, if there's less fuel coming in, it slows down. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and I can prove that. I can prove that. Actually, when, whenever I do seminars um, and public speaking, I'll, I'll usually pick someone. I'll, I'll usually find a very petite gal in the front of the audience that I know won't be offended. And, and I'll say, okay, you know, Julie's here in the front. I want to ask you, um, you know, you're, you're petite, you're in good shape, you, you clearly exercise. Uh, what would happen, Julie, if you changed nothing about your training or diet except Every night before you went to bed, you had a pint of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Mm -hmm. Now she laughs and she goes, I would be happy. <laughs> that's, what, yeah. that's what everybody says. Right, what of I course. Would say, right? um, but, but she goes, you know, I, I, I would gain weight. I said, okay, um, you know your body pretty well. I, I am an expert on this. I would agree with that. You would gain weight. How much weight would you gain in a month? Invariably, 
she'll say between five and 15 pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say, again, uh, this is what I do for a living. I've done this for two decades. I've watched thousands and thousands of bodies adapt. I would say that's pretty accurate. You're probably going to gain between five and 15 pounds. Now, what if you just continued doing that? You ate a pint of Ben and Jerry's every night. That's a thousand calories a night before mm-hmm. you went to bed for an entire year. How much weight would you gain? And then she'll stop and pause and she'll go, I don't know. I think I'd probably gain 20 to 30 pounds. I'd say that's probably right. Hmm. And now she doesn't want to gain 20 to 30 pounds, but here's the problem with that. Now let's go back to traditional math, a thousand calories and a pint of ice cream. That's 7,000 calories a week. There's 3,500 calories and a pound of fat. By the rough math, she should gain 102 pounds Hmm. in one year. And then I ask the room, does anybody raise your hand if you think she's going to gain 102 pounds? And of course, not a single person raises their hand. So here's what everybody just agreed to. They just agreed that Ben and Jerry's ice cream speeds your metabolism. Hmm. Hmm. Isn't that a crazy thought? Now, don't go. (laughs) We don't want our listeners. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But but what I want is to just break through to, to think about things in different terms your metabolism acclimates because we know that Julie is not going to double her body weight, but if she's eating more, she is going to gain some body fat, but at some point the metabolism is going to do its job and recreate that homeostasis. So you asked me a question, can you, is it all predetermined by your genetics or can you change? Now I'll give you a, a more grim illustration. Uh, if, if you take a thousand people and put them in a concentration camp. They're in a prison. They're in a horrible circumstance. They're all eating a ration. Right. They're given 1,500 calories a day. That's it. They're just given 1,500 calories a day. So you have men, women, big people, little people, elderly people, children. Everyone gets fed 1,500 calories a day. Um, two years later, they come out. Anyone who comes out, their metabolic rate is burning 1,500 calories a day or they don't come out. It's very simple. If their body couldn't acclimate to that, then they wouldn't be able to stay alive. That's that survival mechanic. So you can take a guy who weighs 300 pounds and he's a machine, you know, your defensive end who's just a monster Mm -hmm. and exercises every day, he can survive, not not thrive, but he can survive on 1,500 calories a day. That will be his new metabolic set point because he's conditioned his body to it. So if we can learn where your metabolism is at today, then we can adjust where it goes tomorrow. The problem is there's a lot of philosophies out there that this isn't a new thing. I didn't invent this. Right. It's just application. Like you've heard the concept where you have to eat more to lose weight. You have to eat more to burn more fat. That is a true statement. But in practical application, it is not that simple. So if you take someone who's used to eating, you know, 2,000 calories a day and you go, well, I read you have to eat more to lose weight. And then you jump to 3,000 calories a day. That person's going to gain weight, plain and simple. Now, if you go, okay, I'm going to jump to from 2,000 to, you know, 2,100. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to add in a tiny bit more exercise. Metabolism, go, okay. I can recreate homeostasis, acclimate to this new intake, close that gap. 
Now I'm at 2100. Now we're going to go to 22. Now we're going to go to 23 and actually have a justifiable measurement system that dictates when you increase or hold, right? Hit or stay, right? We don't just randomly based on the calendar do it. We're evaluating how your body's responding. I I can get you up to eating 3000 calories a day. Now, what happens when we drop from 3000 calories a day down to 1500? you're going to incinerate body fat or you're going to lose weight. If you do it wrong, you could lose muscle. But the point is you're going to drop because weight loss and weight gain are not a function of, again, don't go out and say Angelo said, but it's not a function of pure intake, mm-hmm. how many calories I'm eating or how many carbs I'm eating. It's a function of contrast. What your body was used to versus what you change it to. So back in the day, I was coaching all of these um, uh, bodybuilders and and figure and physique athletes. And at every show, I would have someone come up to me and, oh, Mr. Poley, your athletes look incredible. You know, uh, how do you get them look like that? What do you have them eating? And I would give them the tongue-in-cheek, you know, brown rice and broccoli (laughs) and chicken. You know, the typical stuff, you know, you hear. And, hey, well, if I eat that, will I look like them? (laughs) Nope. And here's why. It's not the brown rice, broccoli, and chicken. It's that they spent the last eight months up adjusting, eating more and more and more and training and lifting and up-regulating, reconditioning Mm -hmm. their metabolic rate to be blazing fast. So now, you know, eight weeks out before competition, when they cut down to their 1,900 calories of boiled chicken and, uh, you know, and lettuce leaves, the fat just incinerates off of them. Right. Because of the contrast. And that's the problem you have with the diet industry. You can control your metabolism. Your genetics do influence it. But with the right strategy, you can transform your body by controlling where your metabolism goes. So interesting. You talk about contrast and change because I think, you know, a lot of our listeners are kind of like me where in good shape, eat right, you know, occasional glass of wine, occasional chocolate, but definitely eating the right things and working out every day, but kind of, you know, and I've been through this where you're kind of stuck at set points, set points with your training, set points with your times. In my case, running, biking, triathlon times. And what does make the change is what you just said is contrast. When I incorporated some more hit training that I wasn't doing or incorporated a little bit of change in diet, then you start seeing results. So we're not talking about a lot of guys like me that are listening. They do the right things and they're all good. Absolutely. But then it's like, but to get better, like what is that? What is going to get me from really good, from pretty good to really good. And I think that's what a lot of people are looking for more than, you know, losing five pounds. Absolutely. Good to great. No, you hit the nail on the head. There is nothing wrong with what you're doing or what a lot of our listeners are doing. There is nothing wrong with it. It's that likely if you've been there, if you've been looking in the mirror and you're seeing the same thing or your performance is at the same level, then the training and the nutrition that you're implementing is maintaining you at this good level. Mm -hmm. But if you want something to change, you have to become more of a specialist in some area. 
if you are a generalist, that's fine. And there's some people that get all the results they want as a generalist. But if you don't have the results you want, then we have to become a specialist for a time right. to achieve certain objectives. So the biggest, the most important thing um, to define for anyone trying to improve performance, to transform their body is you need to be able to define what is your strategy? How do you optimize your time? And how is your body responding? You have to have all three. So look at that. Look at that. What is your strategy? You should be able to clearly articulate what you are doing nutritionally for what purpose and how you expect your body to respond to it. If you can't articulate that, you're probably not changing something specific enough to get at least a predictable outcome. Then I say you have to optimize your time has to be this way. Mm. Um, this is the secret. I, I'll be invited to speak at like a retreat or a, an event with, you know, executives and CEOs and, you know, oh, I know you work with this celebrity or that <laughs> athlete or what, what's the secret? What do you have a meeting? What, what exercise do they do? What's the best machine in the gym? I'm like, you're asking the wrong question. Right. I'll tell you the secret. You ready? Time management. Mm -hmm. That is the secret to transforming your your body to improving your performance because we are all whether you are uh, paid millions of dollars a year to get on the football field or whether um you know you you have a nine to five uh we all have 24 hours in a day and your body has a finite capacity for recovery which means that we have room for a primary focus maybe a secondary focus and if you have lots of time to dedicate to your fitness maybe a tertiary focus. But if you try and do 10 things at once, you're going to accomplish nothing. Right. I'll get, I'll get executives that'll call me up and go, Angela, I know who you are. I've heard about MetPro and your company. Here's what I want. <laughs> I want to I want run a sub six minute mile. Mm -hmm. I want to bench over 300 pounds and I want under 10% body fat. Can you get me there? <laughs> and my answer is, heck yeah, I can get you there. Now here's what you have to do. Pick which one you want first. Right. Because if you if you try and train and eat for all three, you're going to you're not going to accomplish any of them. You have to be. I mean, unless you're just genetically blessed, you have to be specific. So if you're going to train for that faster marathon time, we have to go all in to move the dial. It's very simple. We can ask the question. That's the third one. Is your body responding? Right. So we have to be able to say, OK, at the end of 30 days. Have I gained weight? Have I lost weight? Have I improved my performance? Look at these metrics and be honest with ourselves and say, yes, this is working. It might not be working as fast as I want, but it's working. Push forward or be honest with ourselves and say, yeah, this isn't working. I need a strategic adjustment. That's why my coaches are so focused on really getting to know and work in the weeds with our clients because if we know exactly what they're doing, and then we can have a real-time output for their results, their performance, their body weight, their body composition, um, their, their you know, progress and their lifts or their exercises, whatever the gauge may be. We have these real-time metrics showing us how their body is adapting. We can say, I have good news and bad news. The bad news is your body has adopt adapted yeah. to what we're currently doing. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with what we're doing. You're there. Congrats. The good news is I know exactly what we need to do now. Right. Here are the two things we're going to change. Um, and, and that's where 
and that's where I, I really do promote the philosophy of working with, uh, with the experts that know how to help you learn these things. It's not a simple, like most people think that being healthy, eating clean, getting in shape is a decision you make. If you mm -hmm. want it bad enough, you'll decide to do it. Uh, Andrew, it's a bunch of garbage. I'm, I'm just calling it like I see it. I've, I've coached thousands of people. It's a bunch of garbage. It is a decision also. You need to have the desire. But it's not a decision. It's a skill. It's a skill like anything else. Mm -hmm. You don't just wake up. Oh, I want to be. A, you're in. You're in statistics and and analysis. And you know you don't wake up one day and go. I think I want to be an accountant. So I am an accountant. No, you have to go to school. <laughs> right. You have to learn. The you have to. The same thing for fitness in our modern uh, lifestyle. You know, in, in America we have a very very specific culture around work and eating and social and convenience foods and life right. that we live that without someone to help you figure out, okay, here are the absolute top, you know, five most relevant things that you have to change. You have to do to see the results. You're not going to know to do those. And, and most people over, uh, over and underestimate the time allocation to each. For example, you talk to someone and they'll say, how many hours a week do you have to invest towards reaching your goal? And what the answer I get is they'll tell me how many hours they can exercise. I say, Sorry, Johnny, I didn't say right, exercise. Right, right. I said, how, how many hours can you give me? Toward, I, I'm going to decide how we use those hours. You just tell me how many you have. And if you tell me two hours, the result is going to be very different than if you tell me 10 hours. Uh, and quite frankly, if you tell me two hours, we really don't have time for exercise is, is the, the moral of the story. Um, people say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat clean lunches. I'm going to pack a few snacks. That's great. Okay. Well, you just described me as very easy. You're talking an hour and 15 to an hour and a half a week. Where is that time coming from? Remember right. I said the trick to transforming? Time management, time management, time management. And so those are the three things. What's your strategy? How do you optimize your time? And then is your body responding? And, and, uh, and we can get into a, a few hacks because people will ask me for hacks. Like, you know, yes, I, I was going to get to the hacks. I mean, everyone wants yeah, yeah, yeah. the magic bullet, which is kind of a a more popular way of saying hack. But I, I, I think hack, you know, we don't have to look at hack as a bad thing because I think what you're going to tell us is, yeah, there are ways you can optimize that not necessarily are shortcuts, but ways that you can get to where you're going to go. And so I am, I was just about to ask, so a nice segue into whatever hacks you have in terms of critical life hacks. So in order to understand the relevance of any hacks, what are we trying to accomplish? Well, right. what we're trying to accomplish is leverage. Um, this is an oversimplification, but there's essentially um, three main levers. Right. You have with your diet, you have calories, you have carbs. There's a lot more to it. That's an oversimplification. But those are the big grandfather techniques. Right. And with your exercise, um, you have time. How, how much time am I going to put into this? So um, how are we creating contrast or leverage? We have to look at what our most relevant levers are. For some people, that may be calories. For other people, it may be reallocation of macronutrient ratios or meal timing. And for other people, it's actually going to be the training they're doing and how they're allocating their training time. And for almost everyone, it's a combination, some combination of those three. 
how do we know what's right for you? Well, that's where, you know, the evaluation comes right. in. But as far as hacks, where I could say a blanket statement, here goes. Every morning, prepare a healthy afternoon snack. Hmm. Now, it, but every part of that recommendation has to take place in order for it to be potent in the way that I want it to be potent. So that means I didn't say um, pick a pick a convenience store and pick up a healthy snack every afternoon. I said every morning prepare mm-hmm. an afternoon snack. And I thought breakfast was the most important day meal of the day. Um, what I'm looking for is what what has the data or data driven told us the most disruptive behaviors that people can make are, and the number one most disruptive behavior when it comes to nutrition. Um, we have found to be preparing a snack. Uh, I have other reasons for liking the afternoon, but preparing a, a midday snack first thing in the morning. Mm. If you're willing to do that one thing, it's going to positively disrupt a number of typical other areas of your life. For example, if you're willing to prepare it in the morning, you're not going to prepare an afternoon snack and have all those good ingredients there and just you know put it in a sack without setting some aside and actually having a good breakfast. Right. So we two for one, right? Now, if you go through the effort of preparing it, then you know it's coming in the afternoon. You're probably going to eat it. And if you know you have an afternoon snack, then your lunch choices may be slightly different. Also, mm-hmm. your appetite will be controlled because you already had breakfast. So you get to lunch and you know that you're having an afternoon snack, so you can make a better choice. Then when you have that afternoon snack, it keeps your blood sugar stable. So now when you get to dinner, you don't have crazy cravings, mm-hmm. which leads to snowballing. So if there's one thing you can do, and here's the most important part of that prepared afternoon snack, is it sets a precedence that can be built upon. Because if right. you can prepare an afternoon snack, guess what? You can start preparing a couple other simple things. So that, that's my first hack. Prepare a healthy mid-afternoon snack. Now, can that be um, as simple as a, uh, an apple? Can that be as simple as a few carrot sticks, celery sticks, and, I don't know, some cheese? Uh, you know, give us an example. Absolutely. So great question. So that kind of leads into a part B. Um, and that has to do with, here's kind of a little trick, a hack for um, implementing whatever your current diet strategy is. Take meals socially, not snacks. Mm. Now, I'll explain what that means. So for your afternoon snack, use healthy ingredients. So fruits, vegetables, lean proteins, whether it's meat-based, animal-based or or vegetable-based, plant-based, quality foods, not junk foods. Stay away from the obvious things that we all know as junk foods, right? So don't don't pull through the drive-thru to get your afternoon snack. Now, what that snack is going to be, that's actually a trick that that our coaches use because our coaches have learned that uh, busy people take lunches and dinners socially. Often you have business meetings at lunch or you're Mm -hmm. going out with family and friends at dinner. So um, it's harder to be ultra specific and say, eat bite for bite this. Snacks, however, you don't take socially. Mm -hmm. So I say, hey, Johnny, here's what I want you to do. You're going to let me just pick one or two things. I'm going to have you prepare it in advance. You're going to eat this as a mid-morning snack 
and as an afternoon snack. So now I can use that as my leverage. So if I want someone to have more fiber in their diet or get a little bit more fruit or I'm trying to increase their carbohydrates, I'll have them increase it in those locations because I know they're going to get it. Likewise, if I'm having someone cut carbs, I'll say, hey, at lunch and dinner, I want you to do lean proteins, vegetables. We're going to have all of your carb content come from your snacks. So that way I can write a number on the board and you actually get that exact amount of carbs in a day. That's the only way it can happen. If you're going to say, hey, I'm going to walk into the, the local restaurant and try and hit exactly 45 grams of carbs for dinner, that's going to be a little bit tougher. Not impossible. Right. You can do it. But it is tougher. Whereas if I say, okay, here's what you're going to have. For your afternoon snack, you're going to have uh, some Greek, you're going to have you know, half a cup of Greek yogurt, you're going to have a medium apple, and we're going to have some turkey jerky or whatever, any combination right. you know, uh, of, of clean foods that we're going to pair together. I know that you're going to get X amount of grams of carbs, X amount of grams of fat, X amount of grams of protein, and I can build a strategy around it. So think about snacks as your anchor. If you have snacks that you can keep at your desk, that you can have on hand, that you're not going to take socially, you can plan it and you can make it part of your everyday lifestyle so that if your lunches and dinners are a little less predictable, mm -hmm. you can just be principle-based at those meals. Makes sense. I'll give you one related to exercise. So exercise, I would always rather take frequency over volume, mm -hmm. Fre frequency over intensity, frequency, frankly, over anything else. Frequency because meaning every day or try to get in 10 yeah. minutes in the morning, 10 minutes in the afternoon, That's it. those kind of things. Yep. So if I have someone that says, okay, how, how much time do you have to spend in exercise? And they're thinking in their head, well, you know, when I go to the gym, there's an hour and a half of my day. I can probably do that twice a week. So I three hours a week for someone real busy. Yeah. I would much rather get them into, look, here's what I want. I want 12 to 15 minutes, but I want it Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday. Mm -hmm. 12 to 15 minutes. That's it. That consistency I can anchor to, and more importantly, I can build on. Once you successfully anchor that into your program, into your daily routine, we can add to it over time and add the intensity, add a little bit more volume and time to it. It's just creating the space in your routine and the habit that is the most relevant. And the way to do that is anchoring. So everyone has busy schedules. Don't say I get to get everything done in my day that I need first, and then once I'm done with all the projects and you know chores for the day, mm -hmm. then I'm going to go to the gym. It's probably not going to happen. Right. If you have something in your schedule that doesn't move, anchor it to that. Um, a, right. a lot of uh, a, a lot of women that I work with, I say, you got kids that you pick up from school, uh, two thirty in the afternoon. Perfect. Your workout time is one thirty. Right before that, it's anchored to it because I know you're not going to forget your kid at school. So right. <laughs> we can we can work with this. I know it's going to happen. And if you don't have something to anchor it to, um, statistically, the earlier in the day you do your workout, the more likely you are to actually follow through with it. Any hour past noon, your odds of getting that workout in become exponentially decreased. <laughs> you mentioned time. I want to interrupt there. Aside from yeah. aside from the uh, the likelihood of doing exercise later in the day, 
I hear different theories on when is the best time to exercise. And uh, you're talking to a morning exerciser. If I don't get it done in the morning, uh, chances aren't great. And I, I just sort of anchor it early in the morning. But uh, do you have input as to what time of day or obviously any exercise is good, but timing? I, yep. Whatever you can be most consistent with okay. is the number one slot. If Whatever is going to lead to most consistency. But I think what you're asking a lot is are there benefits to AM working out, Correct. like working out first thing in the morning? Okay. So that is a great question. So I'm going to, I'm going to have to kind of roll up my, my nerd sleeves for a second here. Yeah. So this is a common question asked in the industry. Should I do a uh, fasting state cardio. Right. If you Google that. If you look at it, you can ask any trainer. You can find every answer under the sun out there. I'm going to tell you the real answer. The real answer is it depends on your body type, goal, and it, well, goal encompasses what you're trying, your objective. Mm -hmm. That determines what you should do. So it's not a blanket. Yes, fasting state cardio is the way to go or no, always eat before you train. It's not as simple as that. So certain body types, you have ectomorph, mesomorph, and endomorph. I won't go into detail, but ectomorphs tend to have faster genetic baseline metabolic rates. They have a harder time holding on to muscle. They have an easier time stripping fat and also muscle. Endomorphs on the other end of the spectrum uh, are just the opposite. They look at a pair of dumbbells and they build traps like a wrestler, right? That's that genetic predisposition. Um, they hold muscle very well, even in periods of frequent exercise, uh, decreased intake, mm -hmm. and um, they tend to be naturally strong people. Guess what? They can also put body fat on much easier than other body types. Yes. Mesomorphs are right in the middle. So your body type is going to influence whether or not there's more benefit to fasting state cardio or AM training on an empty stomach versus not. If your goal is priority number one is muscular development, then that's one check in the box of always eat first. Because if you don't eat first, you may lose a little bit more body fat, but you may lose a little bit more muscle from the activity as well. Mm. If your primary objective is decreased body fat, it is okay to prioritize that above. It doesn't mean you're not also prioritizing, but you're prioritizing it above muscular development. That might be an acceptable trade-off. And so if you're in the middle, look at your body type and go, you know, if I'm an ectomorph and I've really been struggling to hold on to my muscle, probably um, there's going to be a, a good uh, reason and justification for leaning into other levers for fat loss and not sacrifice muscle by training on an empty stomach. So it may not be in my advantage. Yeah. Whereas if somebody is on the other end and like, hey, I'm an endomorph, I could do with losing 10 pounds of muscle, wouldn't even miss it as long as I also lose 20, 30 pounds of body fat, I'm good with it. I'm going to say, yeah, go ahead. As long as your energy is good and you're tolerating it, do the fasting state cardio. So it all comes down to specificity. And that that's what really is my whole belief system and the and METPRO, which by the way stands for metabolic profiling. That's what we do. We're mm -hmm. categorizing and profiling your responses and how your body is, um, the results your body is producing from specific criteria. Um, and, and so that's where each of these questions and each of these hacks really are best when they're applied to the individual, when thinking about their personal circumstances. Right. And I have to ask, that since we both brought up fasting state cardio and early morning workouts, usually without eating or just eating a tiny amount, the question I always 
get, and I listen to all these podcasts as well. I'm a nerd about all this. Is the intermittent fasting so the the eating only eight hours a day? Some people do it six hours a day. Some people ten hours a day, but stopping eating at whatever seven eight at night and not starting again till whatever maybe even noon the next day. Benefits that you've seen, and I go. I know your answer is going to be depends yep. on the person, but yep. this seems to be kind of a hot area. And if you want to jump in on keto and ketogenics as well, another to. hot area. Yeah. So we'll just address those. I mean, we could spend the whole hour talking about each little fad that's out there, but those are two that have caught my attention hot right now. Yeah, and I listen yep. to Rogan and everything, so we all know that uh, it's out there. There is no good and bad. There are pros and cons. There are consequences. Right. So um, with, let's take cyclical or intermittent fasting. So first of all, there's a huge variation how it's implemented. Right. So there, there's everything from, well, what we're going to do is we're going to eat more on some days and less on other days to, you know, you eat Tuesday, not Wednesday. So there, there's extremes. But speaking in a little bit more uh, generalities. So pros. Uh, pros to it is it's probably in my personal experience. I've, I've, I've dabbled with that as, and every single <laughs> modality yep. out there. Yep. Uh, it's, it's the easiest one to implement. And that's why a lot of people like it. It's easy to do. It's a lot easier for me to go, you know what? I'm just not thinking about food. I'm just not going to eat the first half of the day. Second half of the day, I'm going to eat. Um, and it's very, very easy to implement. And right. that's not something that I say lightly. That's a, that's a justifiable pro. Big part of it, people buying in, doing something they can do, right? It's easy. Here's a con, and it's a big one. The con is anything you do, your body gets used to, period. Hmm. So if your body gets used to, so so not such a big deal if you have a genetically fast metabolism, you gained a few pounds because you've been eating really bad and you've been piling in the extra and you had a couple nights of the nacho cheese and beers, um, but otherwise you normally stay at the body weight you want to be. No big deal. Right. Now, let's talk about the other end of the spectrum. I'm a 47-year-old female. Um, I have about 50 pounds to lose. I've been on every diet on the planet. My body is already, my metabolic rate is slow. Now I'm going to condition my body to uh, only eat during a few hours of the day, which mm-hmm. will result in not only eating a few hours of the day, but also eating much less calories. I really hope that cyclical fasting works. Because any weight you haven't lost in the first couple of weeks of it, I'm not sure what your next step is. Mm. So once your metabolism acclimates to that, where do you go? Right. It's like what the, are you we talked do? about with contrast. There's nothing it regulates. Exactly. So that, that's a bigger question of if your metabolism is the reason you're not losing weight, we need to actually condition your body to eating more frequently and eating more calories without gaining fat, but still conditioning you to more, not less, to force that metabolic rate up. And I'll tell you a real, a real example. Um, a, a gal uh, hired me to work with her that was going on one of those um, reality TV shows where, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're not going to be eating <laughs> for a right, while. Right. a few of them. Yep. So, uh, but, but she was uh, an ectomorphic body type and had a very fast metabolism. And she was just afraid, you know, Angela, I don't eat for two hours. I get a headache. I get hangry. Right. So in, to prep her for the show, what I did was um, I had her go from, she would usually eat five, six times a day. I had her go down to, okay, several months out, we're going to just eat three times a day. And after about 30 days of that, 
Now we're going to go down to just two really big meals a day. And then about three weeks out from her leaving, now we're going to go down to just one giant meal at night and just one snack. And because of that, her metabolic rate was able to slow down enough mm -hmm. to where her body could cope with hours and hours of not eating. So I actually use cyclical fasting specifically to slow her metabolic mm. rate in this case. Again, don't leave saying, oh, Angela said all cyclical fasting is bad because <laughs> right. it's not. Um, there it is applications. Just depends, right. Just depends. Now, same thing with keto. So keto is just, it's all just it is with carb restriction. Right. So there's, there's varying degrees of it. Keto is referring being in a state of ketosis, which would be at the more extreme side of carbohydrate restriction. But there's 101 diets out there that are applying moderate carbohydrate restriction. It's basically a, a lever. The question is, is it the right lever for you? And the answer is, how much contrast will it produce? Mm. So people come to me and say, Angelo, I, you know, I've lost 20 pounds doing keto. Um, and, and I, I, I want to lose another 20 and I say, we have to stop doing keto. And they say, why, when it's worked <laughs> right. so well, I said, it's not that there was something wrong with it. It's you played that card. You got the result. Continuing to do the same thing is not going to produce any further results. So if somebody's used to eating, well, I'm used to, you know, I eat about 75 grams of carbs a day. I'm not quite in ketosis every day, but I'm, I'm really, really low carb. Mm -hmm. We're going, okay, I'm going to slash you from 75 down to 40 grams a day. Just doesn't, it's not enough. doesn't get me excited because it's just, your body's going to go, eh, it's <laughs> not a big deal. It's just not, it's not enough of a change. Now, if I ask someone, it's like, okay, what are you eating? Well, I'm watching my calories, but uh, you know, I, I'm eating about 250, 300 grams of carbs a day, even though my calories are in check. Now, if I take that person and say, okay, we're going to take you, we're going to drop you from 300 grams of carbs down to 40, 50 grams of carbs a day, they're going to lose body fat because their body's not used to it. That's contrast. Right. So which tool you use is not, shouldn't be measured by the validity of the tool itself. It needs to be measure, measured by the project it's working on. If you're already used to low carb, continuing to do more low carb is not going to produce the result that you want. Therefore, we have to recondition your body to a different strategy. Doesn't mean we can't circle back around to it, but we have to go a different route. If your body is used to low calorie, is continuing to do low calorie is simply not going to pay dividends. I get people that'll come to me that are working really, really hard. You know, I got a guy just you know, just a couple of weeks ago is he's eating like 1800 calories a day. Mm -hmm. And he asked me, you know, well, I stopped losing weight. Um, how about if I go down to 15? I'm not that hungry. And I said, no, he goes, why? I said, because it won't work. <laughs> it just won't work. It's, it's not a big enough drop. Your body will just go, okay, I'll get used to that. Now, if he was used to eating, you know, 3,300 calories a day, and then right. we drop him to 2000, guess what? See, it's all about contrast. And so sometimes I have to create the contrast. Right. My coaches have to create the right. contrast. So if I determine or we determine you don't have any contrast in your diet, you, I don't have carbs to speak of to take out. You don't have any justifiable calories to reduce. Here's what I'm going to do. Tomorrow at 2 o'clock, I want you to eat this apple. Why? So that way your body gets used to that apple. So that way I can later take the apple away and get a predictable result. 
You know, it's crazy. The uh, I read an article this morning about the Okinawans, known for their longevity. I think they have hundreds of centenarians living in Okinawa, Japan. They problem? they have high carb diets with particularly abundance of sweet potato and low protein. Mm-hmm. Exactly the opposite of what we hear and read about. But again, I mm-hmm. think I'm answering your my own question from you, which is these people have become used to a certain body and and a certain way of eating and that's high opposite to what we're, we're being told is the right way that's right it, it, it boils down to remember what i opened with which was i have seen every diet work i have i've seen every strategy work it just depends on the person every strategy doesn't work for everyone all the time we have to have and this is what is missing from the industry and what why i created metpro in the first place is to answer the fundamental question of what should i do to whether it's gain weight lose weight or just change my body to transform because i we have um one of the the fullest richest demographics the the largest percentage uh, demographics we work with is we work with a lot of um, doctors right because they're interested in um, in really how things work and the science behind it so a lot of doctors will call us up and hire us even if they don't need it for themselves they, they go through our education because they want to learn how the metabolism works so I think is I, I don't want to say a percentage that's incorrect but like Statistically, the largest percentage of any one demographic that we work with is doctors. Here's what they all agree on. They all agree that those BMIs say, oh, you know, Johnny, you're, right, you're right. You know, six feet tall, you weigh this much. That means you burn X amount of calories. They all agree that that's garbage. That's the one thing they agree on. Now, what should you do to lose weight or gain weight? Now, they don't agree. They don't, no two people are going to say the same thing. What they all agree on is that the one size fits all. If you're this size, you burn this amount of calories. Is, is a bunch of garbage, and it absolutely mm-hmm. is. It just doesn't work that way. So how do we figure out what you need to do? Because I can have two people in a room, very similar demographics, similar age, body type, and one person will lose weight very easily, and one pe- person will not. We have to have a tool to measure people against to see exactly what they're at. And I tell people this all the time. I said, my job is not, is not to do anything but give you accurate data. When you go through this education process and we go through this evaluation and tracking, I am either gonna have good news for you or I am gonna have bad news for you or even more likely I'm gonna have news somewhere in between. I cannot control whether it's good news or bad news initially. What I can control is that it is accurate news. So if something is not working, we don't keep wasting our time trudging forward with a strategy that will not yield results for your body, and instead we recondition and redirect you to something that will. That's the whole purpose of what we're doing at at MetPro. This is great, and I know we could go all day. I want to ask a last question about something beyond diet and exercise that afflicts, or maybe that's too strong a word, but a lot of people, especially listeners, even myself, and that's the word stress. And stress may come from relationships, it may come from work, all kinds of stressors in our lives that we have busy lives. So I'm into mindful meditation. I just wondered if you had other, not necessarily life hacks, but other recommendations for dealing with stress, which I know 
is a, is as much of a risk as bad diet and bad exercise. <laughs> Uh, I'll tell you what, when you, when you solve that one, Andrew, I'm going to hire you to be yeah. my coach because I can, <laughs> I'm going to go to Vegas when I do that. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, no, that is a very valid question and observation. Stress is, uh, absolutely a, a cancer to the body. Um, and while we can't stop stressful events from occurring in our lives, what we can do is we can put ourselves in the best possible position to be able to manage them both physically and emotionally. And so I would, I would kind of anchor that to, to practicals. I'm, I'm big on the practical right. and I love all the different methodologies for stress outlets and, um, and self-improvement in that area, but keeping kind of in my lane where, where I'm comfortable, the, the two areas that I would correlate that back to is I'm going to look at their sleep. I'm going to look at somebody's sleep right. schedule. And I'm going to look at how they're managing their time. Mm. Um, so sleep, I, I, I actually had a client once, and he was a famous um, psychologist who worked with celebrities in crisis. So he would literally travel and go live with them hmm. um, for a few weeks. And I asked him, I said, you know, your area of expertise, your coaching area fascinates me. So what do you work on as soon as you? He goes, we work on nothing. He goes, Angela, I, I won't let them do anything until they've had two or three nights of sleep. The only thing we do is get sleep. Once the body has gotten the sleep that it needs, it is then equipped to deal with whatever emotional challenges are hmm. popping up. And I would say the same thing is accurate physically. And, and I just thought, wow, there is a lot of wisdom in that. And so I really have learned the importance of act, getting enough sleep and recovery and prioritizing it because it tends to be one of the first things that drop off, especially right. when we're under stress. And then the second thing is time management. And I, I want to actually define that a little bit more. Right. What that means from a practical standpoint is having a effective priority hierarchy. Because if you have a, uh, an effective priority hierarchy, it doesn't feel so overwhelming. You can say, if I can do one thing, what is the one thing that is going to be this week the most productive, the best return on investment, tying into the business of sports, right? right. The best return on investment for my time. And if I can only do one thing, here's what it is. And it's already decided. I already know it before I go into my day. And if I can do two things, here is what it is. Mm. And it's already decided, I already know. So just having that strategy already laid out really helps people when they hit those uh, periods of stress and, um, and busy schedules mm -hmm. and anxiety. They know that, hey, there is this one thing that is my focus, and maybe I'm, this isn't going to be a record-breaking week for me, but if I keep the main thing the main thing this week, I'm not going to backslide. Right. And so, so those would be the two things. I would say priority hierarchy slash time management and make sure you're getting enough sleep because, yes, they all play a part. It's so interesting. You know, in, in running the Green Bay Packers, we used to go to draft preparation and the coaches would ask questions about this defense or this offense and how you play against this coverage or this linebacker. And I would ask questions about time management. And, and I would ask questions, tell me about your day. What do you do? And I was looking for the kid that planned out his day, that got up and did 100 push-ups, that got up and studied an hour with his little flashlight so he wouldn't wake his roommate. You know, because to me, self-discipline, self-motivation, self-management are tools that have always been predictors of great success in sports and otherwise. 
And to hear you talk about time management is isn't it really it brings home the point that I've known for so long. It really does focus you in a way that is so positive. Hit the nail on the head. That has been my exact experience. Yep. Angelo, this has been great. You have provided a real guideline. It's Angelo Poli, the founder of MetPro. What a company. I can attest to it as a client, and what an interview. Thanks so much, Angelo, for being on the Business of Sports podcast. It has been my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Really hope you enjoyed that from Angelo Poli. I just think this company is on the cusp of something here, founder of MetPro. Now, another word from Bet Online. You know, one of my resolutions this year, in addition to better fitness and nutrition, was make the podcast bigger and better. And that's what I'm about to offer. Thanks to friends at Bet Online, this offer has one week left for a once in a lifetime trip to the NFL's biggest game. It's coming up next week, a weekend trip to the big game. How do you enter? Well, you sign up today, use promo code BIG GAME, all caps, space, B I G, space, G A M E for all information. I'm betting, pun intended, <laughs> that it's not as good as a paid flight, paid hotel, VIP, tailgate party, or tickets to the big game. If that's what you got for this holiday season, you get it for you, friend, family member, or significant other. Exclusive partners of the podcast, betonline.ag has the golden tickets and your opportunity to place a bet on yourself. Don't miss out. The promotion ends in a week on January 28th. So visit betonline.ag. Don't forget to use promo code BIGGAME when signing up for your account. BetOnline. A-G. Thanks for listening to the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Really appreciate of you that follow me on Twitter at Andrew Brandt. See all the work I do, especially the podcast. Getting some nice reviews on Apple Podcasts. Appreciate the rankings and comments. Thanks to my producer extraordinaire, Brian Neal. And we'll be back next week with another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Thanks for listening to the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also get additional insider insight by listening to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Fantasy Feast, Even Money, and College Draft Podcast, all at RossTucker.com or wherever podcasts are found.